Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Now, as far as taking a journey with Jesus towards the triumphal entry, one of the things that you would need to know or it's important to know is sort of the backstory to what the triumphal entry is all about. Again, this is Palm Sunday. It's a famous Sunday where people take palm branches and many churches provide those. And it's a time where people remember again Jesus coming to Jerusalem as king. Now in this, though, there is a backstory to Palm Sunday into Jesus entering into Jerusalem as king. And that backstory is a long journey in the Older Testament that begins a thousand years before Jesus was born. It begins with a young shepherd boy by the name of David. And you find out about David in the book of 1 Samuel. So in the book of 1 Samuel, we discover that there was a king of Israel, his name was Saul, he had made some choices and God rejected him as king. And before his reign was anywhere near being done, God selected the predecessor or the successor, I'm sorry, the successor for Saul, and his name was David. And the prophet Samuel was led by God to go and look for the next king. And when he found him, he was a young shepherd boy, and the Bible tells us that God confirmed that with Samuel. And then Samuel did something amazing. He took a cruise of oil and he went to this young shepherd boy and he poured it over his head. He anointed him as king. And the scripture tells us that when the prophet Samuel does this and he pours the oil over this young shepherd boy's head that the spirit of the Lord came on David and began to empower him and guide him and strengthen his life. The next story you read about, he kills a giant by the name of Goliath and he becomes one of Israel's deliverers. Now, if you follow the life of King David and you move towards Jerusalem in the triumphal entry, there's some things that we need to know. You've got David, and he's anointed as king. And what we know is David, to this day, is the favorite king of Israel. There's many reasons for this, but one of the primary reasons is, is that when David is selected by God to be king, he unifies all the broken, splintered tribes that make up Israel, and he's able to unify them in spirit and in worship and politically and militarily, and he gets them all together. The other thing he does is this. He attacks a Canaanite city by the name of Jerusalem. Jerusalem has the letters for shalom in it. It means city of peace. And so David conquers the city and he determines that this will be the political, spiritual capital of God's people. Well, the book of Samuel tells us, the two books tell us he moves into his palace, he's the king. And one day in his palace, he realizes he needs to build a house for God, a temple for God. So he goes to God and says, listen, I'd like to build you a temple. And God says, great idea. You can't. You have too much blood on your hands, but your son Solomon will. So the nation of Israel, even to this day, looks back at King David as their favorite king. Not only this, Jerusalem to this day is known as the city of 
David. So here we have kind of this long backstory about Jerusalem. We know that Jesus enters Jerusalem as king on Palm Sunday. But there's a little bit more we need to understand. Not only is David there in the book of 1 Samuel, and he's doing a great job as king, but in the book of 2 Samuel, the prophet comes to David and says something very strange. He prophesies to David. And here's what he says in 2 Samuel 7.16. He says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever. And it will endure before me and your throne will be established forever. Suddenly this prophecy starts that David's throne will be eternally established. That's how it's going to be. And then other prophets begin to pick up on it. Samuel was prophesying a thousand years before Jesus was born. 600 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Jeremiah picks up on the same thing. Jeremiah 30 verse 9. Instead, they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. King David's been dead for 400 years. And the prophet says that God will raise up a new king in the line of David who will sit on David's throne. Jeremiah picks it up again in chapter 33, verse 17. Here's what the text says. For this is what the Lord says. David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of Israel. Ezekiel says the same. The prophet Ezekiel, 550 years before Jesus was born, prophesies in Ezekiel 34, 23, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. And then the most famous of all of these prophecies, made famous by Handel's Messiah, 740 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah the prophet prophesies and says in Isaiah 9, 6-7, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. There are dozens and dozens of prophecies in the Older Testament that looks at David's throne and says, one day, a son of David, a man in his lineage, will sit on David's throne. That man, biblically, is called the Messiah. The term that the Jews give to this man is Messiah. Now, Messiah comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach, and all it means is anointed one. Remember when David had the oil poured over him and the presence and the spirit of the Lord came upon him? That's what it's speaking of. That there will come one who will be of the lineage and the line of David will be a son of David and he will sit on David's throne and he will be an anointed one, only the anointed one, the Messiah. Now in Hebrew, it said Mashiach or Messiah. 
But in Greek, it's Christos or Christ. And so when we say Jesus Christ, you are saying Jesus the Messiah. You are declaring that Jesus of Nazareth is the one that the prophets in the Older Testament said would establish David's kingdom and would sit on David's throne. Now, not only do we have this prophetic journey in the Older Testament, but we also need to take a trip with Jesus back about a year before he does the triumphal entry. And at some point prior to his triumphal entry, we're going to discover after we read about the triumphal entry what Jesus does. And it's very specific and it's important for us to understand. Before we look at those scriptures, I'd like us to read together the actual story found in the Gospel of Matthew of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. So with all of this backstory behind us, we are now going to read about the triumphal entry of Jesus. The title is, Jesus Comes to Where? Jerusalem is King. Jerusalem is the city of David. Let's pick up our reading. Here's what the scripture says. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, say to the daughter of Zion. By the way, Zion is another name that David gave to the city of Jerusalem. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle, riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That was prophetically announced in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, 500 years before Jesus was born. Reading on. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd sped their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna! Hosanna to the son of David. Do you know what Hosanna means? It's actually not really a term of worship. It means save now. That's what it literally means. Hosanna means save now to the son of who? David. They're declaring they believe that Jesus is a son of David. Reading on. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now Jesus at the temple. So Jesus enters through the western gate. He enters into Jerusalem. And the text tells us what he does next. Jesus entered the temple courts. And he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. 
But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you not read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. What an incredible story. And what we discover is Jesus has what was culturally known as a triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. Well, the question has to be, culturally, what in the world is a triumphal entry? What is it? Well, here's what we know from extra-biblical literature, that there's a huge chance that even earlier that morning, there was a triumphal entry prior to the one that Jesus had. And that triumphal entry was from Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate had left his beach home that was out on the, uh, out on the beach, and it was a very palatial estate that Herod had made. He, as the governor, left that and came into Jerusalem through the eastern gate. But when he did, he would have had what was known culturally as a triumphal entry. Here's what it looked like. Pontius Pilate would have been on a white stallion. And in front of him and behind him would have been tons of Roman soldiers. And they would have marched lockstep into Jerusalem so the whole city knew they were there. Now the reason for that is, is this. It's Passover. And Passover is the largest Jewish holiday. And Passover is commemorating when the people of God, the Jewish people, are delivered from the Egyptian empire. In other words, they go from being crushed by the Egyptians to where they're set free. So if there's ever going to be a revolt in Jerusalem, it'll be on Passover. So Pontius Pilate comes in with his full military regalia, riding on a white stallion. He has his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and he goes up the steps, and he steps inside the palace that overlooks the temple courtyard. He is there as king. He is there as governor for Rome. Now, when we consider our story, remember that triumphal entry, Pontius Pilate's. But what we also need to do, as I mentioned before, is we need to read about how Jesus headed towards Jerusalem. Because biblically, the triumphal entry isn't just about when he gets on the foal of a donkey. The triumphal entry actually began months earlier, where Jesus, in Matthew 16, 21, says the following to his disciples. Here's what he said, Matthew 16, 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to where? Jerusalem. He must go to the city of David. That he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. After he announces that, the transfiguration happens. There's a lot of other cool teachings and events. But then he repeats his death to his disciples a second time. That's Matthew 17, 22 to 23. Jesus predicts his death a second time. It says this, when they came together in Galilee, 
He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Now, following that announcement in Galilee, Jesus very clearly in all four Gospels, he turns the compass of his activity and his movement towards Jerusalem. From that statement on, he is all about going to Jerusalem. And why is he going to Jerusalem? He's going to be killed. It's crystal clear. Is anyone confused on that? That's why he's going. Now, what we end up doing is we discover that in Matthew 17, 22 to 23, Jesus for the second time, don't forget, he takes his disciples, he pulls them aside, he says, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Here's the next event. The very next event after he exhales and says what he was going to say, the very next event is this. It says, chapter 19, verses 13 to 15. Jesus is now moving towards Jerusalem, and he encounters a group of people, and I want us to catch what happens. By the way, he encounters three groups in succession. This is the first one. Here's what the text says. The little children and Jesus, Matthew 19, 13 to 15. Let's read. It says, then the people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. Isn't that the sweetest thing you've ever heard? Where parents have little kids and they're bringing them to Jesus and all they want is a rabbinical blessing. That's what they want. They believe somehow God's special with him and so they bring their kids and they line them up. It's kind of similar but totally the opposite of sort of an autograph session where some famous sports athlete comes to town and parents are saying to the cute kid, go get the autograph, go get the autograph. Well, what's fascinating is they bring their children and the text says <clears throat> when they bring their kids that those who are there rebuke those who are bringing the children. It says, then people brought little children to Jesus for him to bless them, but what's the next phrase? But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he placed his hands on them, he blessed them. You have to ask yourself the question, why did they rebuke the parents with the kids? I'll explain why. All they've heard up until this point is Jesus is going to Jerusalem. The rest of it is like wah, wah, wah. Here's what they believe. They believe Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to conquer the Romans. And he's on the way to do that. And while he's on the way to do that, these moms and dads want little children to be blessed. And what don't you need if you're going to go to Jerusalem and overthrow Romans? You definitely, you definitely do not need moms and little kids. So they rebuke them. Jesus has bigger things to worry about. Get your kids out of here. And Jesus gives a powerful teaching. Says, oh no, what I'm doing is not about power and it's not about position. This is about the kingdom of God and kids are welcome in. Then what he does is he has an encounter immediately after that 
with what we know as the rich young ruler. It's Matthew 19, 16. And it simply says this, that just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want you to catch something. The parents with the kids got rebuked. But when the rich young ruler showed up, he was ushered straight into Jesus. Do you want to know why? <laughs> if you're going to overthrow Romans, guess what you need? You need rich young rulers. You don't need parents with kids. Then we read on again. And when we read on again in Matthew chapter 20, we discover that Jesus predicts his death a third time. So this is the third time that Jesus predicts his death. Here's what the text says. Now Jesus was going up to where? Jerusalem. By the way, every time in the Bible someone's going to Jerusalem, it's always up to Jerusalem. And every time they're leaving Jerusalem, it's always down from Jerusalem. Here's why. Jerusalem sits up on a mountain. It, had an, it has an elevated position. And so the scripture talks often about people going up to Jerusalem. It's a symbol of going to worship. You would say, I'm going up to Jerusalem. It means you're going there to worship. Now, as we pick up our reading, it says, and on the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them. So picture this. Jesus, for the third time, is telling his disciples what's going to happen. He grabs the 12 out of the crowd, says, come on over here. We're going to have a holy huddle, and I'm going to tell you again exactly what's going to happen. And what does he say? He says, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Now, before we go any further, how many of you have ever had someone explain something to you and to them it's crystal clear, but you're not getting it? Uh, let me give you a, case in point in my own life. Something like this. My wife, Fran, who's Italian, she cooks amazing Italian food, God bless her. And so let's say Fran cooks an amazing meal, we sit down, we eat it together, just two of us. It's awesome. Food's amazing. And when we're done eating the first course before dessert, she says, Pete, why don't we do this? Why don't we get up from the table, let's clean up all the pots and pans, and then let's take all the leftovers, let's put them away, let's get the table really nice and clean, and then let's get dessert, let's sit down, and let's eat dessert together and talk. All right, so here's what I hear. I hear, I'm going to get dessert and go to the TV room, and then she'll clean up everything. So I take dessert, and I go into the TV room, and what do you think she says? We're not going to say what she says. But here's the point. Here's the point. The reality of it is, I have my agenda. I'm hearing what I want to hear. Fran's got an agenda. I'm hearing only what I want to hear. She says dessert, and I go, let's take it in front of the television. Everything else she said is wah, 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 wah. So Jesus, for the third time, crystal clear, takes his disciples, gathers the 12 together, says, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And right when he exhales, here's the next event. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus 
with her sons and kneeling down asked them for a favor. He just said, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And what he has is two of his disciples, Zebedee's sons, that's James and John, and their mother comes in front of Jesus and kneels down. Here's what she says. What is it you want? And she asked a favor. What is it you want? He asked, and she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other at, uh, at your left in your kingdom. In other words, Jesus, here's the plan. You're going to go to Jerusalem. You're going to kick out the Romans. You're going to sit on David's throne. And all I'm asking is little favor, Jesus, that uh, James and John, one would be vice president, one would be secretary of state. Now, Jesus, you can choose which one goes where, but I'm here, and here's my... Can you imagine these two disciples like, oh, Mom, like, really? Like, really? No one's heard what he said. No one. He's been crystal clear. I'm going to Jerusalem to die, and no one's getting it. Then we pick it up. Verse 22. He says to those two disciples, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? We can they answered, and Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with, their two, with the two brothers. In other words, the other ten were like, we should have got there first. They beat us to the punch. Then reading on, Jesus called them together and said, okay, guys, huddle again, come back together. Here's what he says. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus spells out what his kingdom is going to be like. It's going to be filled with servants. They're about political power and position. And Jesus says, that's not my kingdom. And then if you can believe it, then they have another encounter. This is the third encounter. Right after he's done speaking to them, the text tells us as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they, when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted. And what do they shout? Lord, son of? Wow. They know who he is. They shout out, Lord, son of David adds mercy on us. And what does the crowd do? They rebuke them. Just the same way they rebuke the moms and kids. So they rebuked the blind men. The crowd rebuked them and told them, be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight and followed him. And the next verse, Jesus has the triumphal entry. Now, why have we done all of this? Why have we explained all this? I want to start here. And this is important with putting feet to our faith. What Matthew wants you to know is the only people that could see Jesus were the blind men. Nobody else saw him. They were blind, and they saw him for who he was. And everyone who could see couldn't see him for what he was. It was the blind men 
that before they could see, said to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then the triumphal entry happens. And what we discover is, is that Jesus has his triumphal entry. As we close, I want you to picture Jesus' triumphal entry. Let's do this together. Jesus now has got his disciples. He's got a crowd traveling with him, and he has his triumphal entry. And what does the scripture say that he was riding on? It was actually the foal of a donkey. Now, have you ever ridden on a donkey? If you have, you don't ever want to do it again. <laughs> Riding on a horse, awesome. But on a donkey, I don't think so. And on the foal of a donkey, definitely not. So Jesus' triumphal entry that's coming through the gate opposite the gate that Pontius Pilate came in. He, can you picture this? Here's Jesus, his triumphal entry. You're in Jerusalem. I've been in Jerusalem many times. And you get up on the wall and you look down at the path that's coming in that western gate. And when you look down that steep hill, here's what you see. You don't see any soldiers at all. Not one. What you see is a guy riding on the foal of a donkey. And that little thing is stumbling up the hill to come into the gate. And you hear people starting to cheer what the blind men have been cheering. Now they can see. And they're cheering, Hosanna, save us, son of David. Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David. Son of David, the one who comes with the presence of God. And you look over the wall and what you see is the most unimpressive sight you've ever seen. So you ask this question, who is this? It's not Pilate. It's not Herod. It's all upside down. And then Zechariah 9.9 echoes in, echoes in your ears and says, Israel, here comes your king. He is humble and gentle. And he's riding on the foal of a donkey. And if you're broken and you're sideways, and your strength is gone, and your hope is gone, and your peace is gone, this is the king for you. He's your king. Would you stand with me as we close? And as we stand together, and we contemplate the scene that we've seen, the Bible says that Jesus enters into Jerusalem he doesn't go to the palace. He goes to the temple and he clears it out. Jesus knows if we're not spiritually right, it doesn't matter the power or the prestige we have. What really matters is whether we're spiritually right. So Jesus is the king, goes into the temple, not the palace, and he begins to set it straight. And then the text tells us, that there were two groups of people cheering him. One, seems like they were adults. They were cheering son of David. Do you know who I think the loudest were? The two blind men. And then the text says, and children were cheering too. You know where he got the children? When he had blessed them on the way to Jerusalem. And they joined in and they followed him. And as we now come to Jesus, we get ready to worship him. I'm gonna ask that you would close your eyes and open up your heart. Dear people, 
We live in a world that's about power and prestige and about might. Jesus calls us into a kingdom with a king who is gentle and kind. He is the Prince of Peace. He's the one on whom the government's shoulders has been placed. He's that king. He's the king that loves us and came to serve us and to give up his life for us.